shortest chapter of the 10th canto. This is in the prayers of Solomon by So that's really auspicious because then we'll have more time to hear from about this important topic of retracting what you have offered. Oh, okay. <laughs> you take a direction. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya 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 Not here. Would you fill in for Dhaneshwar? Sure. Uh, Krishna. Right. While in the woods of Dwarka, some Yami boys one day sought out some means to quench the thirst inflicted by their play. On peering down a nearby well, they found, to their surprise, a huge, repulsive lizard staring back with slotted eyes. The boys felt sorry for the lizard. Scurrying about, they brought some ropes and leather thongs and tried to lift it out. When all their efforts failed, they knew exactly what to do. They ran to Krishna breathlessly, disclosing all the news. The lotus-eyed Lord Krishna went directly to the well. As he reached down to lift the beast, it seemed to break a spell. At Krishna's touch, the lizard shed its cold reptilian skin and, rising, took the golden form of heaven's denizens. Though Krishna understood the situation, he inquired, Dear sir, are you a god? <coughs> what sin could possibly require an elevated soul like you to take a lizard's form? If you are up to telling us, we'd like to be informed. Requested by the limitless Lord Krishna to explain, the god bowed low and spoke of how he came to be restrained. Though you know everything, my lord, I'll tell my tale. You see, I was a king named Nurga, famed for giving charity. I gave the Brahmins lovely cows and limitless supply, as many cows and grains of sand as were planets in the sky. Each cow was youthful, well-behaved, and full of luscious milk, with gilded horns and hooves and dressed in ornamental silks, with sacrifices to augment by philanthropic pursuits. I gave these cows and other gifts to Brahmins of repute. Each one received an elephant, a chariot, a house, plus silver, gold, and gems in quantities to please his spouse. Amid these generous offerings, a solitary cow belonging to a Brahmin wandered in my herd somehow. Not knowing this had happened, I decided to present that very cow to someone else, and that caused my descent. The Brahmin who possessed the cow protested, she is mine. The Brahmin now receiving her was equally inclined. To keep the cow himself, the king gave her to me, he said. They brought this hot dispute to me when it came to a head. You just gave me this cow, the second Brahmin priest began, but you stole her from me, the first replied reprimand. The fearsome situation then became quite clear to me, so I presented both these honored Brahmins with this plea. If you'll return this cow which brings disaster on my head, I'll give you each 100,000 cows right now instead. My fault was unintentional, I only meant you well, but if I don't correct it now, I'll surely go to hell. Alas, both Brahmins wouldn't budge, and I could not conclude. The conflict with more charity, with very angry moods, they left the palace feeling cheated. I now held the sin of giving gifts to Brahmins and then claiming them again. The agents of King Yamaraj took me when they expired, before their fearsome master observed me and inquired. Your pious deeds are many, yet you also have been cursed. Your good results are bad results. Which one do you want first? I said, my lord, I'll take my sinful karma first of all. At once the mighty Yamaraj commanded, let him fall. And as I fell, I saw my human body fade away. I turned into the lizard for you came across today. My dear Lord Krishna, I have been a charitable king, devoted to the Brahmins and supplying everything. Recalling these past incidents is possible to do, because I also committed an audience with you. Oh Lord, I must be seeing you by special circumstance, where only yogis finished with this world receive this chance. Govinda, God of gods, 
O Lord of all, be pleased with me. Allow me to recall your voice incessantly. All souls originate in you, the goal of every path. You never change, although you act on everyone's behalf. To see you makes me blessed, for my distress is now relieved. Accept my deep respects, dear Lord, because I take your leave. Or before. Before I take your leave. Accept my deep respects, dear Lord, before I take your leave. King Rigor walked around the Lord and, falling to the ground, he touched Lord Krishna's lotus feet with his resplendent crown. A fine celestial airplane then appeared as all looked on. With Krishna's nod, this newborn god climbed on and on it and was gone. Because King Riga boasted of his generosity, his pure devotion to the Lord was in its infancy. His meeting with the Lord was premature to some extent, but Krishna, for a higher cause, explained the whole event. To take up Raman's property, however it's procured, amounts to taking poison for which no one has a cure. Why, even mystic yogis who can do almost anything cannot enjoy such property, and what a worldly king. Whenever ordinary fire burns, mere water peaks out. However, if one takes a thing possessed by the devout, he starts a different kind of blaze, so dreadful and acute. It brings the thief's entire family right down to the root. To steal up Brahman's property will send one straight to hell, along with all his children and his grandchildren as well. And taking help to do so from the government is worse. For that, ten generations back and forth shall be cursed. A member of the royal order, blinded by his wealth, sometimes observes a Brahmin's assets in ruining himself. Such royal sinners and their loved ones cook in hell for years as numerous as specks of dust made wet by a Brahmin's tears. Yes, even taking back a gift will violate this rule and makes the, the thief live 60,000 years as worms in stool. I therefore do not have a Brahmin's wealth. That great mistake will cost a king his kingdom and then turn to a snake. Dear friends, although he hits you or does not or does something incorrect, be sure to always treat a learned Brahmin with respect. And even if he curses you and seems to be unkind, do not respond to harsh behavior, even in your mind. As I respect the Brahmins, so you must, must all of you as well. If anyone refuses, I shall punish him myself. I know in King Riga find himself a lizard's fate. Concluding with this statement, Krishna left for his estate. April 10, 2015, in Gainesville, Florida. So it's very nice explained in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam about the nature of the spiritual world. And there it's explained that the very beautiful and fragrant flowers are offering respects to the Tulsi plant, even though the Tulsi plant, by our material vision, doesn't have very many colors and doesn't have a strong fragrance. And similarly, the beautifully singing birds, they're stopping their singing to hear the buzzing of the bees. Again, even though the sweetly singing birds appear to have such a nicer sound than the bees. So there's a general atmosphere of respect. But you know, Chakura said, there's only two rules that apply in the spiritual world. Have love and do not have any envy. So it's, it's an atmosphere of mutual respect. Mutual appreciation. Shiva Prabhupada writes in those purports that every servant appreciates the service of every other servant. No one thinks they're better than anybody else. And the nature of this world is that the souls who come to this world and who do so voluntarily come here because they don't want to have this mood of appreciation and envy. Rather, they want to have the mood of envy and no appreciation. They want to appreciate themselves, and they want everyone else to appreciate themselves, and they envy everybody else. And they only appreciate others for when it will be favorable for their own personal aggrandizement. 
So what's going to be the rectification of envious souls? I mean, if, if we look around, someone wrote me a letter recently, you know, what is envy? What does, what does it mean to be envious? And basically it means, we talked about this also yesterday, that I am the most important, I am the center, everything is meant for me. Everything's about me, and I don't want anyone to have anything greater than anything that I have. So envy is, you know, I can have a nice, my neighbors can have a nice car, but mine has to be a little better. I, someone else can do well, but I, I've always got to be a little better. I don't even want anyone equal to me. And this is our, our basic disease in this world, and we can recognize that whenever someone does something wonderful, how do we feel? What's our internal response? Do we genuinely, genuinely think, wow, it's so wonderful this person has done something great? And if we're honest, I think we'll say that that's not our immediate instinctive response. Our usual immediate instinctive response is, <clears throat> And we try to find some fault in the person. We try to take away something that they have. So if somebody's great, we try to find some fault that will diminish it in some way. We try to take other people's opulences for ourselves. And if we can't take it for ourselves, at least we don't want them to have it. And that's the basic principle of envy. And even when we're doing good to others, we're doing good to others really for our own aggrandizement. So unfortunately, having this mood makes us completely miserable. It's not our constitutional nature, and it's just not true. We were talking about this yesterday. It's, it's just not the truth. You know, I'm, I'm not the center, I'm not the most important, I'm not the most grand, and I simply will not be happy by trying to pretend that I am. So what does Krishna do? He arranges this world where we can imagine that we're the greatest, and he also gives us laws with teeth that say, learn how to be respectful. Learn how to be respectful. Learn how to be joyful at what others have. Don't take what others have for yourself. Don't envy others. If someone's in a higher position to you, then you should respect them. And if someone's in a lower position to you, then you should help them. And if someone's in an equal position to you, you should be friends with them. And Arden, when he gives this in the fourth canto to Dhruva Maharaj, as the key to being free from all the miseries of life, which when you read this, you say, huh? Huh? What is that? You know, my car just broke down. What, is, what does one thing have to do with another? Now, Nardamuni says, if you elevate those lower than you, if you're friends with those equal to you, and if you serve those higher than you, you will be free from all the miseries of life. Because all the miseries of life come from envy. And it's envy which gives birth to all the different varieties of bad karma. <clears throat> Because it's out of envy that we do things out of the natural order and harmony of the universe. And one of the main pieces of the harmony of the universe is be satisfied with what you have by honest endeavor. And be, be joyful and appreciative of what others have by their honest endeavor. Don't enroge on others' property. One of the um, principles of the devotee is a kinchana. They don't have any possessions. Now, ultimately, the only way to give up envy, really give up envy at the root, and really come back to just being satisfied with who and what I really am, and who and what I really have, and who am I really, and what do I really have, what is mine? Prabhupada says in the Bhagavad Gita, what you know, what is mine and what is not mine. What, what belongs to us? What is our possession? Krishna, actually Prabhupada says, the only way that you give up all material possessions is to possess, possess Krishna, mamata. I am Krishna's and Krishna is mine. Your Tarasana wrote that song, I mean me mine, right? <laughs> right this is I, me, this is all about me and this is mine. The only way to give that up is I am Krishna's and Krishna is mine. What else do we possess? Nothing else we possess that's ours. A reputation. Our reputation, well, that somebody else can take our reputation for you. I don't know if you've noticed that. Our existence. We have our existence, our, our identity, our sense of self. Yes, what else do we have that's ours? Our karma. Oh, that's temporary. Our choice of freedom. Freedom. Yeah, freedom, our free will. That's ours. That's ours. Even Krishna doesn't take that away. So our identity, 
our free will, and our relationship with Krishna, that is ours. Nothing else is really ours. Everything else is gifted to us. Even if we've earned it, it's still gifted to us. Do you follow? We can't, it's not that we're the masters of the universe. Prabhupada gives the example of, of, of college. You may earn a grade, but still your professor has to give it to you. I had a, a very unpleasant professor in graduate school. He was unpleasant in many ways. Although at one time he had a little awakening spiritually for a moment. But in any case, so he had this rule for this one paper. It had to be five pages long. Not less, not more. And it also had to be an APA style. I figure since a lot of you are students, you'll understand what in the world I'm talking about. So APA style means you have to have a cover page. So I had a program that would generate papers in APA style. So of course it had a cover page. So although it had, and somehow this program designated the cover page as page one. So that page five of the paper was labeled as page six. So when he saw that there was a number six on my paper, he took down my grade. And I went to him, I said, my dear professor, I have only five pages in this paper, but it's also according to APA style, which is what you require. So would you please, he said, I said, this is the reason why you took down my grade, would you please change my grade? And he said, no. Right? So it's not just what you earn, what you deserve. I had an opposite situation with my statistics professor, we call the sadistics professor, but that was, it was only due to my son Keshava that I was able to get through that class, and, and it, was, it was a really heavy thing for me. In the doctoral program, you fail one class, you're kicked out of the, of the program. There's no, there's no wiggle room, one failure. And I failed all of my in-class exams, and this class was based entirely on exams. I, I think it's the only exams I've ever failed in my entire life. And a lot of the other students also did really poorly on the exams. He asked questions that he never taught, that weren't in the books, that weren't in his lectures, that weren't in his handouts. I even went to the head of the department with all the evidence, and he said, I can't do anything about it. He said, I can't do it. He said, unless you recorded the class, and you transcribed the recordings, and you could actually prove that he didn't bring this stuff up in the class. You know, it was really heavy. And thankfully, we had open book at-home exams. So I calculated that if I got 100% on all the open book at home exams that I, not only could I pass the course but to get an A was you had to get a 93 I could get a 92.8 so even with failing all the in class exams so I went to the professor and I said if someone gets a 92.8 would you give them an A and he looks at me and he says who's the someone you and I said well I'm hoping it'll be me he said we'll see so he gave me an A <laughs> well, my point is that it's not just what you deserve it's not just what you work for but it's also personal, and in the universe, things are also personal. Therefore, we cannot even say that what I've earned by my good karma is mine. Hmm? Of course, we don't like to say that what I've earned by my bad karma is mine. You notice we only apply this to what I've earned by my good karma, that what I've earned by my bad karma, we generally realize that things are personal. Yes? Like asking this professor to give me an A for a 92.8. I was very happy. I didn't complain about that, but I complained about the professor who gave me a B for having a six, so-called six pages. So this is our general mood, right? If I've earned bad karma, I pray to Krishna, or maybe the demigods, please, don't let me get what I deserve. <laughs> right? But then when I've earned the good karma, I say, I deserve this. It's mine. Right? So karma's not ours. Anyway, those are the things that belong to us. And Krishna set up these laws of the universe with teeth, in order to give us some incentive, to incentivize us to come back to our original position spontaneously and willingly. To get the desire to have love and not envy. He's put us in a situation where having mutual respect, mutual appreciation, consideration, satisfaction with what I have, not trying to take someone else's property, taking care of those who are lower is what will make me happy. And, you know, even ordinary materialistic people who don't have religion sometimes sort of figure this out. You know, even, even talk to ordinary materialistic people. They'll sometimes figure out being satisfied with what I have and being nice to people and being joyful at their happiness makes me feel better. It, 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 we're talking about the wall, the door. You know, it's just like it, you might figure out, hey, wait a minute, you know, if I accidentally walk through the door, all of a sudden I feel happy. If I kind of chance 
So maybe, like you put a rat in a maze, you know, and they kind of figure out the maze. So it's kind of the laws of karma are like that. Now, in this particular story, we're looking especially at government. We're looking particularly at the Varnas and the interrelationship of government with this principle of mutual respect. And I think points like this are extremely difficult for us to understand in 2015, and probably particularly in America, there are some countries in the world where we would still kind of get this. Like I was recently in Indonesia, and the people there, they, they would kind of understand this idea of respect for authority. I mean, Krishna says something here. Oh my goodness, did you read, did you hear that verse of what Krishna said? Did any of you kind of flinch at that? Right? Your friends, although he hits you or does something incorrect, be sure to always treat a learned Brahmin with respect. Even if he curses you and seems to be unkind, do not respond with harsh behavior even in your mind. Did any of you read that and go, <coughs> what's that all about? So I, I think in most of the world today, I, I think I can say that, and I, I haven't done a full scientific study, but I think in most of the world today, at this particular time, such a concept is nauseating. This concept that I should respect an authority even if they hit me and even if they treat me with disrespect and even if they curse me, that I shouldn't retaliate, uh, I shouldn't be harsh to them, is, is a very, a very, very uh, horrible concept to us. Because at this moment in human society, we have basically thrown out all authorities. We just don't have authorities anymore. You know, a little bit, just barely enough. Like, democracy is not just about voting in your leaders. That's not the definition of the whole sum and substance of democracy. Democracy is about separation of powers and weakening of government. So because there were autocratic governments in Europe that were misusing their power, yes, everybody remembers that boring history you learned when you were like in sixth and seventh grade. So because that was going on, the founders of this country said, we have to have a government. We can't not have a government, right, at the uh, Continental Congress. We can't not have a government. Then there'll just be complete chaos. But governments tend to misuse their power. So all right, we're going to have as weak of a government as can possibly function. <coughs> if, if you notice the way the Constitution is written, it gives more power to the people than to the government. In this country, theoretically, obviously innocent people get put in jail. That, that happens. But the concept is better to make have a, a guilty person go free than put an innocent person in jail. That, that's the way our justice system is designed. Better to have a guilty person go free than an innocent person put in jail. We make it very, 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 very difficult. If they follow the rules, now they're breaking all the rules. That's another topic with this whole terrorism thing. I just realized, I'm just reading that when you come into the US border, that they can, without any cause, without a search warrant, they can take all your electronic equipment and they can, they can confiscate it permanently, they can download all your files and so forth and so on without any due process, without any search warrant. But the way the Constitution is written, the government cannot do things like that. Why? They wanted to protect against things like political prisoners. And why do we have this clause in our Constitution the government cannot establish a religion or prohibit the expression thereof? Because you have the kings in Europe who persecuted the religious people, which is exactly what Krishna is talking about here. He's saying, leave the religious people alone. And, he's, and this story is here. You even touch, you even touch. This was a completely an accident on Ruby's part. Completely 100% and there was no intention on his part at all. And I think we can say that the Brahmanas in this story were unreasonable. They were unreasonable and they were uncooperative. I mean, he really tried a good mediation here and a good solution. I'm going to give you 100,000 cows. They weren't even ordinary cows. They had silver-plated hooves and gold-plated horns and, and, and blankets decorated with pearls. These were not synthetic pearls. These were not even cultured pearls. These were real pearls. You know, we saw a real pearl necklace in Bahrain, Bikram and I. One necklace. Half a million dollars. Well, if you can, in Bahrain, you're not allowed to bring culture pearl to the country. So just imagine what he was offering them, and they said, "No, no, no, we want our cow." You know? 
And even for that, of course, he really didn't have to take birth as a litter because he could have said to Yamaraj, let me take my pious activities first. And Prabhupada said, because he was essentially materialistic, he didn't have much intelligence. Because Yamaraj said to him, the results of your pious activities are unlimited. Prabhupada says if he had taken his pious activity first, he could have gone to heaven, and he was already inclined to Krishna. In heaven, he could have become a period of only gone back to Godhead and never had to suffer for his sinful activities at all. Just like we say, if someone touches the Bhagavatam, they take birth in a good family. They may be eating so much meat, but if they go on in Krishna consciousness, they're never going to have to suffer for that calculation. You follow? It, it just won't ever happen. And we have this story of Ambarish, who, was, who tried, um, Dervasamuni Ramana tried to kill him. But because he was a devotee, Dervasamuni couldn't curse him. He didn't have the power to curse him. And we have uh, Vasista cursed one of his disciples. And it was ineffective because his disciple became a great devotee. He said, may you take birth as a sutra. He didn't take birth at all. He went back all back to God. So, King Rige really technically did not have to suffer for this. This was his own poor choice. And that's a whole other class about how the reason that we take birth again and again, my dear friends, and we get our karma again and again, is ultimately because we want to. Because we want to even the score. We want to have closure. That's why we don't forgive people, whatever. And why we don't forgive ourselves. We're the ones who are pushing ourselves into our karmic situation. That's another topic. So we have a very hard time in most of the world today thinking that people should have any power over us. You know, we, we really, really have a hard time. When I was a little girl, when I was a little girl, the concept was that husbands had power over their wives. Even legally it was like that. Women did not have a separate rights to their husband's property. In, in normal conversation, women were called by their husband's first and last name. You'd say, Mrs. Pierce, here's Mr. and Mrs. Peter Smith. Here's Mrs. Peter Smith. Right? The divorce laws, the custody law, everything favored the man. Used to be that the parents had much more power over their children. Now if the government, you know, sees you've sent your nine-year-old to the park by herself, they'll take your child away. It used to be the teachers had much more authority over the students. I mean, you try to be a teacher of kids in today's society, and the parents of society, they don't mind attacking you and criticizing you. You know, my parents would never have gone to the teachers and say the kind of things that parents say to teachers today. People attacking the government. I mean, even something small like what happened with, with Bill Clinton and his affair or affairs compared to what happened to John F. Kennedy and his affairs. I mean, the, the way that people think about authority has radically changed. So the concepts that are being talked about here in this chapter as far as how the government should treat religious persons may seem very peculiar to us. Of course, we have to understand it was also going in the other direction that the Brahmanas took care of, the religious persons, they were serving the society, they were serving the government. They were, they were genuinely, generally genuine people. The government was serving the people, the business was serving the people, the workers were serving the people. That's the idea of Varnashra. So it was service going down and respect going up. It was really a whole culture of mutual respect. And we can't look at this in isolation and just say, okay, you should always have this extreme respect for authority. But also the authorities did take their responsibility. And this is the concept of Varna, which Prabhupada wanted us to try to reintroduce in the world as far as possible. Of the two, Varna and Ashrama, I personally see that people are much more receptive to the concept of Varna than that of Ashrama. <coughs> if you talk about life stages and being doesn't compute with most people today. Then what people don't get from Varna is the respect going up. That's where people just say, huh? I'm not going to respect anybody. Nobody's higher than me. We're all equal. Especially in a country like America. Um, you know, sociologists have looked at different cultures and they've said some cultures are more hierarchical and some cultures are more egalitarian. So in this culture, we're all very egalitarian. Yeah? Uh, a, more, a more extreme example of an egalitarian culture is in Australia. 
And also recently I saw in Brazil, they're more of an egalitarian culture than Americans. But in the egalitarian culture, if you show any signs of having a higher social status in front of people of a lower social status, it's considered a faux pas. It's, it's, it's not considered a nice thing to do. You're supposed to externally act as if we're all equal, although we all know we're not all equal. I mean, we know that. We know this person's richer than me, this person's more powerful than me. But in some sort of a mixed gathering, you're not supposed to display that, isn't it? It's really considered bad etiquette. Whereas in hierarchical cultures, it's just the opposite. In hierarchical cultures, if you don't take symbols of status in a mixed gathering, that's considered bad etiquette. And it's really interesting when I go to very hierarchical cultures, if, if I stay on the same level as everybody else in a gathering, if, like in a gathering like this, we're all kind of sitting equally, the other people would feel very uncomfortable. And they start insisting, no, 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 you have to sit higher, you have to sit higher. I know, and, then, and I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to sit higher. No, you have to sit higher. There was uh, some years ago, there was, uh, in, in one of the Korean airlines, they had the greatest accident rate of any of the airlines many years ago. And the research found that the accidents were happening when the pilot was flying and the co-pilot noticed the problem. Because the co-pilot in that very hierarchical culture did not feel comfortable saying to the pilot, there's a problem. They would say, um, you know, there might sort of, I think, you know, you maybe look off to the over again. Yeah. And by the time the pilot got it, they crashed. And they also found the pilots and co-pilots considered the control tower higher than them. So they wouldn't say, we have five minutes of fuel, we need to make an emergency <laughs> landing. They'd say, um, uh, we're kind of low on fuel, do you think that you could sort of give us some extra facility? And then they would crash. So the way that they solved this problem was they made all of the pilots and co-pilots learn English. <laughs> this is not a joke. This is a true story. In Korea, there's 15 different ways of saying you, depending on status and circumstance. <laughs> So the language reinforced this hierarchical culture. They, they taught, we made all the pilots speak English, and they created a separate pilot culture that was egalitarian. Right, now, we, in an egalitarian culture like America, we, I'm telling you, my dear friends, we do not relate to the way people think in hierarchical cultures, but neither do the people in hierarchical cultures, which includes Great Britain, by the way, relate to our egalitarian mindset. So when we look at a pastime like this, please, please, please keep in mind that we are looking at it through a cultural filter. We are looking at it through a cultural filter. We are judging it through our cultural filter. And we are saying, that's ridiculous. Why should the government have so much respect for religious people, especially when they acted like this? And why should there be such a severe consequence I mean, Krishna's detail, he's talking about a consequence that will affect your, your children and your parents. You know, generations, 60,000 years as a worm. And I mean, you read this and you go, is that a little extreme? <laughs> but why this specifically of the government toward the religious people? Because, my dear friends, the government has power, Yes. And governments tend to misuse their power. That's what they tend to do. And religious people don't tend to keep guns. They don't, they don't also tend, you know, they don't tend to like work out and keep guns. And they're not in this mood. And so on a gross platform, the government is going to tend to have more power than the religious people. They're going to have more money. They're going to have more prestige. They may have more of a network of influence. They may have more power. And because they're in the material world where their position is envy, they're not automatically going to respect those that are higher than them, are they? It's not going to be automatic because our tendency of envy is if someone's higher than me, I'm going to try to bring them down and, and, and overlord them. So therefore, Krishna has set up the universe such that there's more power in religious people than in the government by karma. You take anyone's property, you're going to suffer. But you take the property of a pious, religious person, you're going to suffer much, much, much more. You know, we have that concept even in our egalitarian culture. Killing your parents is worse than killing a stranger. 
killing of police officers worse than killing an ordinary citizen. We, we have this concept that harming someone higher than you, harming an authority, is worse, yes? We have this kind of concept. And that's because it's part of the universal law. Now, of course, in ancient times, Brahmins did also have power. Brahmins did also have power. They had subtle power. So if a Brahmin said to you, become a frog, you became a frog. Which we find the remnants of this idea in our fairy tales. The, the wizards who could say something and, and curse you when it would happen. And so the Satriyas, the government, were genuinely afraid of the Brahmins. They're actually afraid of them because they had real power. So there was an enforced with teeth respect those who are superior. That was the principle. To try to get us back, because uh, if you just function by fear, that's not really going to be enough. But to try to get us back to this concept of not having envy. To try to get us back, to try to get us accustomed to thinking in the way that I should respect those who are higher. I should be friends with those who are equal. And I should uplift those who are lower. So it's, it's being done in this world by force of law. And by, by fear of the law. So that's better than nothing. It's better than nothing to have fear of God and fear of the law is better than being an outlaw. But that's not really where we want to go. Where we really want to go is we really want to go to acting spontaneously out of love. To actually curing the disease of envy in the heart. We don't just want to try to change the behaviors. That, that's a good start. It's a good start to try to change behaviors. We want to try to change the mood. We want to try to change the motive. And the only way ultimately to change this motive, my dear friends, is to face that it's there and to see how ugly and unpalatable it is. To see the envy in our own heart, to really face it, to own it, to say, I, I am really I am motivated by envy, and look at envy and see there's no taste in it. There's no pleasure in it at all. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Pulagmar said, chewing the chew. There's, there's nothing in it. It's like gum that someone else has already chewed. It's like a piece of cardboard. There's no taste in it. And that love is full of taste. And that if we really have mutual respect for other people's possession, for other people's position, and that we deal with people like that, with love instead of envy, that we'll find out that we already have everything we need and everything we could want in unlimited abundance. That we belong to a world of comprovision and shalitation. We belong to a world of desire trees and, and desire dust, where everything that we want is fulfilled instantly in fullness, where there's nothing that we lack, where we can even have the liberation of having opulence as equal to that of the Lord, the Sharsti liberation. That Krishna is so non envious, he will give every jiva if they want it, opulence is equal to him. He will give every jiva if they want it a form as beautiful as his. He has no envy. You want to be the Lord of the universe? Here you go, become one Brahma, be the Lord of the universe. He has no envy. Krishna is willing to share everything with all of his jivas totally. Even the jivas can be in his ecstasies. The gopis get in the ecstasy of Krishna. They get to feel what Krishna feels like. Pralagmars would also get in the ecstasies of Krishna. Krishna does not have a mood that I have something that I'm not going to share with my jivas. Well, I'm so great, I'm just going to make them serve me, and I'm going to keep all my opulences for myself. It's not his mood. So what is our need for envy? What is our need for taking anything of anybody else's? So, to, to look at this in our heart, and if all we can be motivated by is fear, okay, that's a good step. But that's not really where we want to go. That, that's not going to take us back to our original position. Because there's no fear. I mean, there's a rasa of fear in, in the spiritual world. But there's no material fear like that. There's no fear of punishment. There's no government in the spiritual world at all. There's no karma. There's no government. So this is our main business. 
in, in our Hare Krishna movement. This is what we're really trying to do. We're really trying to root out this envy and come back to love. And our movement is meant to practice this, uh, to practice this. Until we, as we gradually practice it, it starts to be revived and we see, wow, this is great. This is so much nicer than the other. So if there's any questions or comments, or, yes, from I looked up envy in the dictionary one time, and one of the definitions is uh, resentful of another person's success. Mm. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Um, I remember what, uh, reading this pastime previously. Um, something that really came out to me about this was that um, King Riga was doing the karma kanda. He had been um, doing all these sacrifices and doing it in such a way um, that um, that he could uh, receive something higher. You know, uh, always doing uh, rituals and things like that. Um, but this one mistake that happened, which was not in his uh, doing, but um, some, there was some arrangement made by the Lord that this cow went in this direction. Um, it was very interesting to find out like how if we are not in bhakti, um, how we can um, do these other ritual things, but ultimately what we're trying to achieve won't happen mm. for us. And so that was something that I was um, wanting you to talk a little bit about, like the the worship of like the karma kanda and how it's you know like uh, versus bhakti, you know, like because the, the reaction for all the good things he did, he ended up getting a lizard body. But like for devotees, like we don't really, uh, you know, like the the reactions that come to our grandparents, our great grandparents. But if we just take up bhakti, like all of our generations, so many they say, you know, like they'll yes. be liberated and stuff. Yes. So. Yes. Well, I think it's Prahlad Maharaj who says that the results they achieve are the opposite of what they desire. Is that Prahlad Maharaj? So even if he even if he didn't make that mistake, even if his Karmakandi was flawless. He still wouldn't have got what he desired by Karmakandi. Because, uh, Prabhupada says, wet stool, dry stool, it's all stool. You know? So even if you get the enjoyment of the heavenly planets, even if he got that immediately, which, and by the way, he could have, <coughs> that's not what we really want. It's not what our heart is really hankering after. We were talking yesterday about dream water. It's still dream water. So you have a better dream. Is that what you really want? You know, if we could say to you, well, you'll sleep for the rest of your life, and you know, what kind of dream do you want to have? Would that be a life? If we, if we could say, instead of actually going through your life, you could just sleep until you die and, and have nice dreams. Would you agree? It's not real. And many people do that. That's what intoxication is about. That's what all the modern entertainment is about. They just want to dream their life away. Yeah, well, at least I'm enjoying an illusion. But that, that's not what we really want. So karma kanda will only get you things within this sphere of, of illusion. So even if it gets you a nicer illusion, and even if you go to the heavenly planets and you could, you know, do pious activities and stay there, I mean, there's no rule that you have to fall down, that you have to go into the animal species. You could just keep, like Robin says, if you're keep taking birth in Safugun on this planet, you can keep taking birth as a philosopher or a poet. But the problem is we do make mistakes, right? So it's not that Krishna has some kind of rule that you can't just take birth after birth after birth after birth as a demigod. You could. It's like you could go to Hawaii and earn money there and live there, right? But most people don't. They just go there and they spend all their money and then they have to come home. <laughs> but even if you could do that, even if you could be Lord Brahma, birth after birth after birth, even if you did that, it still wouldn't satisfy our heart. It's still not real. And that's the main difference. So materialistic people are always trying to get it right. How can I manipulate the laws to get it right? Whether they're doing it in their chemistry labs, through gross science, whether they're trying to do it through you know, self-help books and being a really good person and being really 
forgiving and kind and compassionate, however they're trying to do it, whether they're trying to do it through Tamagun, Rajagun, or Satvagun, they're trying to be the masters of the world and manipulate the world so that they will have only enjoyment and no suffering. But it doesn't matter. Even if you could do that, even if you could get only material happiness and no material suffering, it's all an illusion. Bhakti is the reality. And that's the main difference between karma and bhakti. Yes. I just want to comment that you had uh, mentioned about mistakes. We don't like to own our mistakes, but we like to own our triumphs. Yes, very uh, much. There's a nice expression that uh, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. <laughs> I asked you about this idea that King Gregor wanted his pious activities later, mm. and how this was materialistic. And yet, in managing Krishna consciousness movement, there's often a need for saying, okay, we need to take some austerity now so that later we can expand. Mm. So what's the difference? Oh, such deep questions. So what's the difference between Riga wanting to suffer first? But he didn't want to suffer first as, an auster- as taking some austerity for later enjoyment. He'd kind of already done that in his whole life. He had done austerity for later enjoyment. He was doing that like you eat the bitter melon first and the cake last. That's what he was doing. Prabhupada said he wanted to get it out of the way so he can enjoy without impediment. Another point here, there's a gazillion points in this chapter. Another point here is that your good and bad karma don't cancel out each other. They're enjoyed separately, which is another thing we don't understand. I'm such a good person, why am I suffering? That no matter how good you are materially, the suffering is separate. And how bad you are, the enjoyment is separate, which again, we like that part of it. So his idea was, let me get the suffering out of the way, and then I can enjoy it. And Prabhupada said that was foolish because the kind of enjoyment he was getting, the kind of enjoyment he was destined to get, could have taken him from there directly to Krishna consciousness. It would be really much akin to someone coming to the movement and saying, well, I want to suffer for the hamburgers I ate at McDonald's. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go back to Godhead. You know, I want to take birth as a cow a thousand times and suffer. Doing austerity for a higher purpose, uh, that can be done in any of the modes. There are demons who do austerities to get something in, in the future. If it's done in a fruitive mentality, it's materialistic. If it's done, I'm taking some trouble so I can enjoy, that's materialistic, no matter what mode it's in. If I'm doing an austerity as an expression of love for Krishna, that's bhakti. Like we take trouble for people that we love, and we enjoy the trouble. If you're experiencing the austerity as austerity, it's in the modes. And if you're experiencing the austerity as austerity, it's probably a pleasure ignorance. Because even in goodness, austerity is experienced as pleasurable. And if you're experiencing, if you can't tell the difference between your austerity and your enjoyment, and they're all full of a pleasure, you're either in sattva or in bhakti. If you enjoy cooking for Krishna as much as you enjoy eating the prasadam, that's bhakti. If you enjoy cooking so much, you don't even have an appetite afterwards. Then really, much fun. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference. It, it's all giving to Krishna is as enjoyable as Krishna giving to you. Now, why this is foolish, and we have literally two minutes. And as I said, this I touched on this topic. This is really a whole other topic. The desire for closure and balance is a good spiritual desire. In the spiritual world, everything is always balanced. It's always harmonious. There's nothing out of balance. In this world, we often translate that desire for balance as I want to have all the debts paid. If someone owes me, I want to collect it. Right? Don't we feel that way? If someone owes you money, don't you have like this thing, I want to collect it? Don't you feel that way? And if I owe someone money, don't, don't you feel if you owe someone money, you feel like you want to pay it? Does it kind of weigh on you? Yes? But that, that feeling, oh, it's, it's nice. That's an enemy of spiritual life, actually. Like Karna, he felt he owed Duryodhana. Mm-hmm. And because he felt he owed Duryodhana, 
When Kunti came to him and said, you're actually my son, and Krishna came to him and said, forget your debt. What Bhagavad Gita verse is there? Surrender to me and, and forget about your debts. What is that? Forget about all this kind of dharma. Just surrender to me and I'll deal with all this. And Karna said, no. I don't want to surrender to you. I want to pay my debts first. It is that mood, my dear friends, that's the reason why we take birth again and again and again and again and again. Prabhupada says we're forced by the laws of nature, but we're only forced by the laws of nature when we want to play the game. You don't want to play the game, you're not forced. I sat on the plane next to an umpire in the uh, minor league baseball. Because I'm not playing in the minor leagues, he's not enforcing the rules on me, you understand? And I, I, what I realized one day is this whole world is like a big monopoly game. It's all false, false money. It's not real money. And all of our debts, everything that everybody owes us, and everything we owe somebody else, it's all playing money. And the game never ends. <laughs> the only way it ends is you stand up and you say, I'm done. <laughs> and because it's all playing money, it doesn't matter what you owe somebody and what somebody owes you. So this idea of anyone who owes me, I'm going to make sure they pay, and anyone I owe, I have to pay. Now, we may do that as a service, because Krishna doesn't want his devotees looking like irresponsible people. So as a service to Krishna, we are going to externally follow the rules of this world generally, not always. We may do sankirtan where it's illegal or something like that. But we're gen generally, we're going to follow the rules of this world because Yadyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhyadhy